John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 176.1S1007, certificate number 28337. Call signs. Have you traveled much back east? I have, but late in life, mm -hmm. I still remember as a kid discovering via PBS that some stations did not start with K and it blew my mind. Do you remember that? Like there were all kinds of uh, children's television programs that came from WOR or WGN. Right. It was the, the Pittsburgh or the New York or the Chicago or station. That was, yeah, Boston, WGBH or whatever. WGBH. What was the, is that the one from Zoom? I can't remember uh, where yeah, Zoom right. was. Right, Boston Mass, 02134. <laughs> and between that and WKRP in Cincinnati, those were my real eye-openers that not all radio stations started with K, which I thought was an immutable fact of the universe. Right, because here in Seattle, the big stations are KZOK and KING and KOMO. KJR, uh, did you know my, my dad is... Uh, He's Ken Jr., so his lifelong nickname has been KJR. Uh, KJR. After the longtime Seattle classic rock station. KJR, Seattle, channel 95.7. Which is not classic rock anymore, right? Or is it? I think actually now it's uh, they've changed it over to like The Jack <laughs> or something like that, but there's it's still KJR underneath it. Well, I always wondered why, how Seattle lucked into the best four-letter radio TV call sign, which is King. King. Like K-I-N-G. Every city must have wanted King. Why doesn't L.A. or Denver or something have King? Well, you know, uh, it is located in King County. That's true. Uh, but also in the early days of this assignment, it was kind of choose your own, choose your own adventure. Like you could submit any call signs you wanted to the regulatory body. And if it wasn't taken, you could grab it. So I guess there were lots of, because we also have Kong, K-O-N-G. Yeah, it's like their second station, right? It's some subcarrier or something. Yeah. I don't understand anything about the airwaves. You need to teach me this. We all have four letter call signs. And some of the early stations just have three letter sure, call WGN signs. Sure, WGN Chicago, right. right? Right. And that is just a factor of, you know, as the three letter ones ran out, you started to be able to have four-letter ones, and then obviously somebody thought, wait a minute, we can spell words. 
There aren't really that many words that start with K that are four letters long. In Anchorage, our stations were um, like one of the new rock stations in the 80s was KWHL, the FMK whale. <laughs> wow. Is it short for killer whale? Uh, yeah. And they had an orca as their symbol, the K whale. It's said that in our era, local TV and radio are all essentially dead because it means we'll never need five letter call signs. There will never be kazoo or um, woman or... Right. At least... Kraut. At least... You're listening to Kraut Rock on <laughs> K-R-A-U-T. But you could do, you know, C-K-R-U-T, right? Crut. And <laughs> call it Kraut Rock. Uh, well, who knows? Futurelings may have returned to the airwaves after the electromagnetic pulse erases all internet. The salt mines in Utah where our collective memory is stored. It seems erased. a little forward thinking for them that they would reinvent radio. I don't, I don't want to put them down. But. I don't know. I mean, radio is an organic process of exchanging information. Radio is how aliens will know about human life on earth because there are radio signals are the first things to be emanating from our planet. It's true. If we're speaking to aliens right now who have colonized our planet, they first discovered us via experimental radio transmissions from World's Fairs, right. probably. Once again, it all comes back to World's Fairs. The Chicago World's Fair, the St. Louis World's Fair, the beginning of all. So aliens are going to be listening to, uh, what do you think we broadcast from World's Fairs? Like maybe some kind of... Kalamazoo! Uh, Kalamazoo! <laughs> Megaphone singing? <laughs> I assumed it would be like the clicking of clog dancers, like the sound of folk dancing. Or no, it's probably some guy reading a, a speech about international brotherhood. Well, it may actually be telegraph. Would be the first thing sort of trans, although that was transmitted mostly by wire. Aesthetically, uh, that would be good if that's the first thing they hear. Right. It's like the intro to some kind of news program or whatever. Like the aliens are like, and then it's, beep, 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 beep. they'd be <laughs> <Flash>. like, hey, <laughs> check it out, guys. <laughs> and all the ships at sea. Uh, so it is a natural way of pre digitally transmitting information. What's wrong with the old fashioned thing of lighting fires on mountains? Right. And letting people on the other mountain across the way see the fire on your mountain. See that the orc army is imminent and we need to mount, mount a, a defense of Isengore. Like, why would you ever invent an antenna as long as you got a bunch of dudes on mountains with fire? You could do patterns in the fire. Patterns in the fire, right? You can do islands in the stream. <laughs> yeah, the original version of Islands in the Stream was actually performed by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton on opposite mountaintops. Well, really, a Pony Express is a good way of transmitting stuff long distances because giant beacon fires require an awful lot of wood and also a lot of people whose only job is to sit on a cold mountain and look but into the distance. But back then, there was no shortage of... True. Uh, unemployed cold people True. and stacks of firewood. And Labor what they, was cheap. And what you really needed was something that would travel at the speed of light. Horses in the Pony Express did not travel at the speed of light. But do you know what does? The light from a big-ass signal fire. Well, it's true. But what you can communicate with a signal fire is, hey. That's like, why you need stencils. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the fire's up on the other mountain. Yeah. Hey, hey well, back. <laughs> All you can communicate is hey. And Pony Expresses is... I mean, that's how you would communicate. I you think could, the plural is pony express. Ponies, ponies express. Ponies express. <laughs> um, you, uh, you could write a whole letter. You could send a whole book via pony express. So they all started with K when we were kids here in the West. Well, so at the very dawn of telegraph communication and radio communication, there was this question. How do we identify stations? How do we know who's talking? How do we know who's talking? 
And as one of the first examples of an international sort of uh, plenipotentiate. Wait, 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 wait. A plenipotentiate? Some kind of international council. A council, some, right. Some muckety-mucks. Some muckety-mucks. Uh, uh, the first kind of like... Um, United Nations organization. It's some kind of nerd summit. It's like the first Comdex. Was the International Telegraph Union, which was formed to mediate this new technology, which enabled different countries at basically the speed of electricity to be communicating with each other. And it never would have been a question who was communicating because it was coming via scroll. Um, you could just <laughs> sign it. But now you could be sitting at a telegraph station and hear and you'd have to there'd have to be some idea where it was coming from you don't know if it's from you or to you right i think you would know if it was from you because you <laughs> right. would be the one Sorry. making the sound <laughs> so the, what if what if you have no like a uh, corpus callosum in your brain <laughs> and you're a telegraph sender who you literally doesn't know your left finger am i, I doing this i guess <laughs> i guess what i meant to say is you don't know who it's from or to who whom it's, it's to, to right, right. And so as early as 1865, uh, this organization, which again was one of the first sort of governing bodies that sought to make some rules that would apply internationally, decided that each country was going to have a series of prefixes that applied to that country. So if you heard the letter K, for instance, you knew it was coming from the United States. And if you heard the letter B, it would be coming from whoever had been assigned the letter B. Is this hypothetical or, or were we indeed the letter K here in, in these United States? Well, so uh, there's some, and, and there's a lot of this uh, this original decision-making that's kind of lost to time. Because it was just like five guys, well, big fat guys with suspenders in a room. Yeah, and the logic of how they decided where the prefixes would go is obscured. And it would be nice if we could say, of course it was K because that stood for uh, a knife or yeah, kitchen or, or kind something. or uh, <laughs> yeah. Kloppenstein. <laughs> But instead, it was probably just like, all right, you can be K, China will be B, now we can break for lunch. So there are four prefixes assigned to the United States, and they are A, which nice, first seems one. nice, Pro like boom. Probably because we called the conference. Right. A. Well, no, the conference was in Paris. Uh, this was back when France really dominated the international scene. But they couldn't send telegraphs to us yet, right? There was no transatlantic Actually, the first transatlantic uh, telegraph cable was laid in 1858. So, Wait, before the Civil War, yeah. there was an undersea cable connecting Newfoundland to, <laughs> to Cadiz, Spain or something. That's right. They had a cable on these giant reels. Uh, and they sailed across the ocean, laying this cable. And, it, you know, and they tried several times. It broke and they had to try again. I guess if you get lost, you can always find your way back by following the giant cable. Although you can't because it's at the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. You so, wouldn't be able to, like, pull it back so up. So it just sinks. These cables are not buried. They're just sitting They there. are just laying on the bottom. And that and actually... if there's a big canyon or a mountain, then it, it just has to go it, up and it down. It droops down. Um, it, during the Cold War, it was somewhat of a problem because by that point in time, we had laid... Dozens and dozens of cables, and via submarine, you could actually go down and grab a hold of these cables and tap on in and hear what was being said. I think this is still true in our era that we're very worried when we see Russian submarine activity near where we know the cables are, because it turns out Russia is not uninterested in interfering with the technology in our day either. Go Wait figure. a minute! What? How dare you say? I guess we, we're, we're probably speaking to the future nuclear victims of this trend. So, <laughs> so and they know we, all we about should, it. We shouldn't be yucking it up, maybe. <laughs> But so we were assigned A, N, W, and K. 
I love the idea they have a Scrabble bag and they're just there's like a draft or we're just drawing tiles out. Well, so one suspicion is that A and N represented army and navy because mm. you you were also during this time, you know, first beginning to see communication via ship to shore. And, and W would be the wear force and K would be the coast guard. K would be the 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 clown car. <laughs> and one kind of like curiosity about it is that the telegraph sign or the Morse code for A is dot dash. Right. And for N is dash dot. Oh, so those are kind of good ones. I guess not as good as E and then what's a dash? T. T. Those would be the, the best Beep. shortest ones. Beep. Right, but still pretty good. Dot, dash, and dash, dot. And then perhaps not coincidentally, W is dot, dash, dash. And K is dash dot dash. So it's just those two with a dash with a dash added, added to the end. Um, so that's one suspicion about where how we got W and K. Is it possible that we just wanted every letter in the word wank? Hmm. Or uh, not knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure wank's the or, only word. Or Quan. Yeah, exactly. Michelle Quan's yeah. ancestors were there. It is possible that we wanted to use wank, but I think it had a different connotation in 1865. No one wanked in 1865. Very few. But initially, well, no, wait a minute. No, no one wanked. You I just, think that's you, documented in history. You would just play with your watch chain instead. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout but initially it was the other way around uh k call signs were for the east coast and w for the west Primarily used by ships. Right. So if you're in the Great Lakes or in the Pacific, you're a W. Mm -hmm. If you're in the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico, you're, you're a, a K. K. But then in the early 20th century, when radio started to come into play, on land, those call signs were reversed. And some people suspect it is, well, one suggestion is that that would enable you to differentiate between whether or not a a transmission was coming from the ocean or from the land. So in the east, if it was started with a W, if your call sign was a W, you were on land. And if you were at, at sea, it was a K. But there is another sort of theory that it was just a transposition, an accidental transposition. It should have been W in the west? Yeah, somebody got it wrong. It would make more sense for W to be west. I mean, I know east doesn't start with a K, but... I don't know. They have Kentucky. Uh, it does make more sense that, that W would be for West. Uh, but at this point, we're through several sort of uh, apertures of how we got to this letter. So it may, it may just be 
Kowinki uh, Ding. Yeah, with a K. Uh, and initially, the dividing line between East and West actually ran up the Texas-New Mexico border. That seems interesting to me because West Texas is still pretty clearly West, you know? If you were dividing the country in half, I guess, are, are they choosing the Rockies? Is that what happens? It then kind of runs up the Continental Divide? Well, so one of the suggestions for why would be that Gulf of Mexico calls uh, from the ocean were Ks. And you want Texas to all be in the same Texas zone. should be W if you want that division, if you want the division between water and land. But as time wore on, it no longer made that much of a difference. And the Mississippi River was decided as the sort of dividing line between W and K. And that makes more sense. But this would have been, and this was in the early 20th century that that happened. That's right, in the 1920s. And that's funny because by the 1920s, it was no longer, the Mississippi River was not the big cultural divider that it would have been, say, 100 years in earlier. In the 1860s, certainly not. When it really would have been everything east of here is the United States and everything west of the Mississippi is kind of the great frontier. Although in the 1920s, I mean, this is pre-Dust Bowl, I think it still very much would have seemed that the Mississippi, for a lot of people, was the last border of civilization before like, you hit. Before you get to someplace terrible like Arkansas? Yeah, or the Plains. I mean, that were a great sort of mysterious and still, I mean, there were still a lot of wild land in the But west. really making it the, the Mississippi really does give you Missouri- Arkansas, these all become parts of the West. Right. Iowa. Iowa, yeah. Minnesota, uh, that you wouldn't now think of as the West. No. Um, but in that period between the original establishment of the border and moving it east to the Mississippi, there are a whole sort of group of legacy stations that have W call signs, call signs that start with W, that now are on the wrong side of that border. There are a few in Texas, a handful in all the states kind of moving up. The one in Texas I know of is Waco. Uh-huh. There's a station in Waco that still has W-A-C-O, which obviously they're loath to get rid of. Pretty good. And there are actually in Pennsylvania a few stations that start with K. Oh, yeah. The, there's a pretty big Pittsburgh station, I think, that starts with a K. KQV uh, or K-D-K-A. K-D-K-A, that's K what I'm thinking yeah, of. K-D-K-A. K-D-K-A, yeah. So, I mean, that's, um, that's sort of the world we presently live in. Oh, there's one more exception that I really like. Uh, there's a story that KTGG in Michigan is still a K station because the clerk didn't know his postal abbreviations. Right, and he thought that it was Missouri Yeah, he thought that Michigan. MI was Missouri. Isn't that great? So it gave him the wrong call sign. And yet there are quite a few. In the very early days, it was completely random. You could make your call sign whatever you wanted before this was sort of universally enforced. Because in America, you know, if you have some local radio station, why not call it? 4chan or whatever. I mean, why not give it whatever name you want it to? Well, I know they don't actually do much checking even today because uh, I remember a story not long ago about somebody trying to get uh, their radio station to have the call letters UNT, but unfortunately they were in Maui, way west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so, and the FA, uh, the, who would it be? The FCC went on and ahead approved KUNT uh, FM for this station in Hawaii. And someone actually had to point it out to the owner that you probably don't want to do that. Well, like here in Seattle, uh, when Paul Allen built his own trolley that covered his South Lake Union neighborhood, and he called it the South Lake Union Trolley. I don't think he called it that. I think Seattle's decided that would be funny to call it the, <laughs> the South, South Lake, Lake Union, Union trolley. trolley. Or slut. 
And we still refer to it as a slut. We do. In fact, there is an AM radio station in Missouri that went online in the 80s. And um, in the late 90s, they changed their call sign to KRAP. <laughs> is it a rap? Is it actually a hip hop station? It, uh, no, it's a sports radio station. That's really appropriate. Yeah. Like when you're going through the dial, the dumbest takes you're going to hear, <laughs> like the worst. <laughs> The worst things to offend the year are going to be on sports talk radio. Yeah. K-R-A-P. And that's fairly recent. They changed their call letters to K-R-A-P in 2014. There's a college radio station in uh, Colorado called KCUF, which is not offensive unless, you know, you're reading or listening to it backwards. Oh, right. KCUF. They say it stands for Keep Colorado Uniquely Free, I think, yeah. or something like that. But I don't know if anyone's, know if anyone's sure. buying it. So the International Telegraph Union or uh, the International Telecommunication Union is what it evolved into as television stations also became part of the mix. And television stations use the same prefixes and country prefixes as the radio stations do. This organization gradually throughout the 20s and 30s became more and more international and after World War II uh, was absorbed into the United Nations. Oh, the UN actually oversees uh, the assignment of call signs internationally? They do. So the UN has a whole sort of portfolio of international organizations. The International Telecommunication Union is one, but also the UN administers UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, right. or WHO, the World Health Organization, also a United Nations organization or UNESCO, sure. the uh, Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. So now every time you hear a radio call sign, you're really participating in a United Nations conspiracy against the, <laughs> the United States's you know, sovereignty. I can't believe some small town in Southern Utah hasn't refused to use the UN approved call signs <laughs> and just picked whatever the, the God approved call G sign for the G-O-D. You're listening to G-O-D. <laughs> well, aren't stations getting away from, I, I know they must still officially have the uh, uniquely identifying call signs, but I feel like they don't use them for on-air identification hardly at all anymore. Now you're listening to the mountain yeah. or to the cool wave or, you know, whatever these, they all have picked, just picked a common noun instead. They have. And it has become, at least in American radio, a um, somewhat of a legacy way of describing your station. I mean, you can listen to radio all day and night and not hear any kind of call sign broadcast. The station still must have them and use them. It's just, uh, there's nothing requiring them to use them for marketing and branding purposes. Yeah, that's right. Because really, there's no longer much confusion about who's talking to you and who, the, who they mean to be talking to. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that a random series of letters and numbers seemed like a, a cool and futuristic thing for much of the 20th century, you know, like that sounds good. I'm listening to KDKA. I'm listening to KZOK, you know, because we expected the future to be this kind of hum of letters and numbers. You know, the early personal computers were the TRS-80 and the PDP-11. And that was, people loved that kind of branding. Like, oh man, it's a series of letters and numbers. I'm in a Kubrick movie, man. Yeah. And, and there's a military connotation too. Sure. Right. Uh, where it feels like it's, it's real official business. It's some secret code talking. I heard a niner in there. So, uh -huh. but then I, I, you know, I remember in the, I guess in the early nineties when, you know, uh, Intel went from their 386 chip to their 486 chip. And then mm. instead of the 586, you know what? It's going to be the Pentium. 
The Pentium. And I wonder if that was kind of the death knell for, like, they suddenly decided that, wait, if this can be anything, a word is probably catchier than a number, and we can just pick a cool word. Yeah, you know? well, and my mom worked on IBM mainframes, and they had all they all had numbers, 8086 and so forth. Sure, sure. Um, and then it became the Lisa. The Macintosh. The Macintosh. It's the computer. With, and that was a big deal with the Mac, that it had a funny name, you know, because a Macintosh is a, a, a breed of a variety of Apple. Right. And so that was the idea that your computer name would be a pun instead of calling it the Radio Shack 4011 or whatever. <laughs> uh, right, pretty forward thinking. The other world that this applies to, of course, is the world of ham radio. Oh, man. Which was a much, much bigger deal for uh, lonely guys with pencil protectors in the front pocket of their short sleeve shirts uh, over the course of the 20th century than it is now. Although I'm sure there are some ham radio operators listening to the program who just spilled their coffee at the suggestion that ham radio wasn't a big deal. Do you think they're sitting in their car outside a shuttered radio shack right now? <laughs> Trying to figure out where they're going to get their connectors, their mini jack connectors. In the distant future, as in our era, all radio shacks are closed and deserted. Well, it may be that the only surviving futurelings are living inside the gutted shells of radio shacks. That's the only place protected against the electromagnetic. Sure, course. everyone else lives in shacks, but they're really what you're really hoping for if you're upwardly mobile in the future is to get a radio shack. That's clearly <laughs> the best kind of shack. And then the, the super rich, the 1%, all live in Shake Shack. Uh, ooh, that's got to smell like spoiled milk. I'm, I bet you that radio shacks, this is a thing that we don't know in our own time, but I bet you they're all tinfoil lined when they were originally built. It seems like the type of thing that those guys would have done, right? That's what the customer base is going to demand. Right. Put a layer of tinfoil in between the wallboard and the... It just keeps the government from listening in on your fillings <laughs> in, the, in your teeth as they vibrate. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So do, do uh, amateur radio operators have the same system? Because my dad is a pretty devoted ham radio guy. Among, oh, is that right? Among his other kind of geeky mid-century hobbies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got a big antenna set up at home and he's always telling me, I just talked to Turks and Caicos or, you know, I just talked to Pitcairn Island or these places that probably don't exist. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The Pitcairn Island does exist. It does. but and, and these people try to collect these places. You know, uh, they'll send expeditions just to these remote South Atlantic islands to man the transmitter for a few days so that others around the world can collect the, the contact, I guess. But his 
call sign, which he had to wait many years for. You have to wait for somebody to die if you, I guess you want one of the short four-digit ones. Oh, is that right? You, uh, he applied and then sat patiently, periodically sending letters of inquiry. No, no, he murdered the man with the call <laughs> sign he wanted. He murdered him via ham radio. He, uh-huh. aimed, he sent a, a high-frequency pulse. To uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So is it? Is it? Uh, is his call sign K E N for Ken? <laughs> well, yeah, I think many of them do start with K, right? Yeah, they do out and here in the West. The desirable four-letter ones start with K. He got K J two U. K J two U, which he's very excited about because those are his initials. I guess oh, Ken Jennings two U. Exactly. Here he comes, and that's on the vanity plate of his of his car. And I guess if I'm speaking to the future, you know, it's probably too late to reach him. But maybe he's going to be harassed over the airwaves now that I've outed his his call sign. If you are a ham radio operator and you try and reach or contact KJ2U, I bet he'll be thrilled. That is probably true. Yeah, he'll be like, KJ2U, come in. And it'll be some fan of this podcast and he will be thrilled. You will might you might have to explain to him what podcasts are. Right. But then you get to talk to Ken Jennings' dad. Do we, <laughs> you can ask him like what I was like as a kid. Is it Ken tr- like as a kid? Is it true that he wet the bed until like the middle of fourth grade? Because a lot of people are saying that on the. Did on that the inhibit web. your ability to go to slumber parties? <laughs> what, my dad being a ham radio guy. No, well, definitely that inhibited your ability to date widely. That but, inhibited all my social activities, actually. But no, being a bedwetter until fourth grade did that keep you from going to being able to spend the night at friends' houses? You just had to go out and sleep in the yard. Yeah, it wasn't so bad. But it was the it was the eighties, right? You could sleep in the yard. <laughs> Uh, ham radio operators have an additional kind of uh, identifying digit where they would have sometimes one, sometimes two country codes like K, A, K, Z, in your case, uh, K, J, in there's your got, dad's There's got to be two more, two, uh, there's got to be more of them, right? They need a longer uh, string. Right, because there are a lot more ham radio operators that sure. are licensed to broadcast. So then there's a numeral. So in your case... KJ2, and that two shows a a sort of subdivision of the country. So the United United States is divided into however many different areas by numeral. And then the last letter, in your case, in your dad's case, U, is sort of unique to him. That's the real identification. So there could be KJ2K. There's 25 other KJ2s. Right. But KJ2U is is specifically him. And it's not always a fun pun. He just uh he just called he called his shot. KJ2U. I mean there were a lot of things he could have asked for. Uh, and instead he he got the lyric or the title of a prince song. <laughs> <laughs> he really does see it as being a part of a public good, you know. Um you know, we're speaking to a post-apocalyptic people, but I, I feel like a lot of these ham radio people maybe are they have a survivalist part of their brain or at least they see themselves as being part of disaster preparation and awareness. You know, when the grid goes down, they're going to be the ones handling all of civilization's traffic. So there are a lot of places on earth where the only way you can stay in touch with people is by satellite phone, satellite uplink. Or a guy on a mountain. Or a guy. If available. if, If you are in a mountainous place. With big fire. And you can light big fire. But, you know, if you're out in the middle of the ocean or far out in the in the Gobi Desert, mm-hmm. and you wish to remain in contact, you need to have some pretty sophisticated and expensive technology to be able to communicate directly. A satellite phone is not just something that you would carry around with you. It's a thing you would you would have purposely to 
be far, far away. So ham radio operators still are capable. When I was a kid growing up in Alaska, the ham radio signals would often bounce up onto the atmosphere at the pole and bounce back down. So you could hear you could hear ham radio from all around the world. Yeah, stuff bounces off the ionosphere. And if you're at the right place in the trough, you can hear from anywhere, Turks and Caicos. And per- people that are on ham radio that recognize that they're in those special spots consider it a big responsibility that they transmit on messages. So if they are audible to New York and Australia, then that, but they're in the middle and the two places aren't audible to one another, you know, they are part of this transmission chain. Well, it's a valuable transmission chain, but not particularly today, you know, when the people in New York and Australia could just, um, email each other. Right. I went looking, uh, I was shopping for a house, not really to buy, just to annoy real estate agents you know, to spend my Saturday just wandering around other people's houses. Just going through their books and But I was down medicine. in Tacoma and um, was touring a house and I asked to see into the attic and climbed up some rickety stair, some folding stair into the attic and found the attic of this old house completely full of antenna uh, and giant antenna. This ham radio operator had built the roof of his house into like a station that was probably transmitting at 200,000 watts. <laughs> uh, who knows how many huge amplifiers he had in his house to to power all this antenna. But it was no small matter. Yeah, the ham people I know are very devoted, which is good when everything goes south. Does your dad have a big antenna? He does. It's, uh, I don't know, the, the system of pulleys, perhaps? Uh-huh. I don't know. So he can raise and lower it. I mean, if you're imagining a giant metal He's not a commercial radio thing with a giant metal tower. Right. Yeah, but you have like, you know, you run cables, I think, so you can get something high above your roof line and maybe long as well. In the future, you know, these people are going to have, after the cataclysm, these people are going to have to handle all traffic, you know? Like if if I want to stream an episode of, you know, Stranger Things or something, right. like... I'm going to have to have people in New Zealand and Argentina and Newfoundland like reading off strings of, of data. Uh-huh. You think this is going to be the future of file sharing? Yeah, people are going to have to be reciting file packets one at a time. I mean, after the apocalypse, it may be that we return to a sense uh, that we don't really need to exchange that much information with people far away. Everything uh, can just be local. We can just go back to local farm-raised chickens and uh, we'll all speak a very local dialect. And you'll have a book that will have like, you know, one picture of someone in Southeast Asia and one picture of an Eskimo. That's right. And one picture of a Polynesian guy yep. and one picture of an African guy. And you're like, all right. That's what they look like. That's the world. Here's us, here's folk dress from Austria. I'm, the Northwesterner will be in a fleece jacket with a fleece pants and a fleece hat. No, in America, they always had, the American in these things always had like cowboy outfit. Oh, right. Cowboy. And I, and I was very annoyed that that was the best we could do. That was our folk costume. Did I, chaps. Did I ever tell you that uh, when I was in college, there was a Japanese exchange student and he didn't speak very much English. And one of my friends was really curious to know how Americans were perceived in Japan at the time and was trying to communicate to him, like, how do you, when you're imitating an American, how do you, what do you do? Can, and can and they he, just be loud and smell like cheese? Yeah, and he, and he didn't understand it at first because there was a, quite a language barrier. Mm. And so my friend trying to communicate this idea kind of made like karate hands and said, you know, when we talk about Japan, we're like, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> sushi or whatever. Hi-yah. And he did it a couple of times. And, and then the kid finally got the idea and he 
kind of cocked his legs a little bit apart and he went, hamburger, hamburger, bang, bang, <laughs> and made finger pistols. Hamburger, hamburger, bang, bang. And we were all just like so chagrined, like, oh, no. And this was well before the Bush era when those words got added to the American flag. That's right. Well, then there's part of that's how we start the Pledge of Allegiance now. All our coins say hamburger, hamburger, <laughs> bang, bang. Hamburger, bang, bang. I hope the future is not strictly local. I hope we have inspired them to begin some new network of international coding so that they can tell people who they are. You know, there might be other survivors out there, you guys. Well, and probably it, you can go back to an original system. Uh, start with give the letter A to whichever country seems to be ascendant. What's, what's your most America-like country? Yeah. Who's uh, really loud and eats too much corn syrup? It's probably Japan or probably the islands there. You know, it's funny because Taiwan, because this is a United Nations organization, Taiwan was blocked by China from having its own Taiwanese oh, code. that's just mean. So uh, they have their radio stations there have to use the prefix for China and then their own Taiwanese subsidiary letters. That's just demoralizing. The most recent country to get their own code is South Sudan. And uh, Palestine just joined as an observer. They don't yet have a Palestinian prefix, but they are part of the gang. Now. They get to watch a radio. It's turned off. Uh -huh. But they get to look at it. <laughs> they can fiddle with the dials. And they're, you know, it's, it's something to aspire to. One day you'll get your own country code. And that concludes Call Signs. Entry 176.1S1007, certificate number 28337, in the omnibus. We sincerely hope that social media does not exist in your time, but radio call signs do. But if it does, people in our time could find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Omnibus Project. John individually was at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram. I was at Ken Jennings on Twitter. And my dad was KJ2U on an old radio in your attic. We had email for some reason. Omnibusproject at HowStuffWorks.com was how people contacted us when we weren't looking at a big fire on a mountaintop. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no way of knowing how long our civilization survived, and we hope and pray that that catastrophe may never come. But we have absolutely no faith that that catastrophe will never come. We are doing this program because we're almost certain that we are on the edge of oblivion. Would we be wasting our time no. like this twice a week no. if we actually thought that things were going to be okay? We no. would be watching The Crown on Netflix and not sitting here in our bunker trying to impart this knowledge to you. To a world where people have to watch The Crown on Netflix via individual ham radio file packet. Well, and that is the big question to us. Are you listening to this on a satellite phone, uh, picking up distant broadcasts? Uh, that have gone out, bounced off of the rings of Saturn and come back to Earth. Hopefully we have funded some kind of remote uh, South Atlantic island that just broadcasts these entries on a loop. You know, you can buy the launch of a tiny satellite that goes up and transmits some sort of Sputnik-like repetitive but is it just a More short sound. is it just a short message is it like ohio state fans that want to say buckeye's rule from space <laughs> maybe like can we really put hours of audio on this thing i don't think so but maybe if we sent up hundreds and hundreds of satellites each one broadcasting like a 15 second snippet uh, so if this is our final word and you're not picking up this show on ken jennings's dad's call sign we 
uh, may never record again. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you again soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.